My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Hey, everybody. Before we get to today's episode, a quick announcement on the Bible Bells front. We are so excited to announce that our third book, Abigail, the Bell of Bravery, will be out in time for Christmas. Through the story of Abigail, Rooney learns that she can call upon the courage of God to face any problem with the confidence that he will see her through it. Head over to BibleBells.com and pre-order your copy today. All pre-ordered books will be autographed and they'll include a free Abigail devotional for mom and daughter. Welcome to today's episode of Heroes for Her. My guest today is Caitlin Beatty. Caitlin is the managing editor of Christianity Today and her first book was published this past July. It's called A Woman's Place, A Christian Vision for Your Calling in the Office, the Home, and the World. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Hey, Erin. It's so good to be here with you. I want to jump right in and talk about the inspiration for this book. You are so committed to the topic of women and work, and I'd love it if you would just share what inspired you to step out and into the space of writing this book. Why did you think it was needed? Yeah, so I have spent almost 10 years at Christianity Today as an editor and have had a really um, powerful experience here, just getting to to shape the direction of the magazine and edify our listeners and edify you know the the broader church. And so, I um, have found a lot of meaning and purpose in my work, and and realizing that I think conflicted with earlier beliefs or kind of subtle messages that I had received growing up. Like I I think when I was you know, five years ago, I was convinced that if I were to get married, I would probably stop working and that 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 marriage and family would become like my central core calling. And that might still be the case. But I I would say that moving forward, um, really, really wanting to make space in my own life and my identity for the goodness and purpose of work and believing that um, God has has put me here for a very specific purpose. And so um, in the book, I'm also hoping to offer a model for for other women who are asking really important and deep questions of identity to say, it doesn't have to be one or the other, right? That there there are ways to live meaningfully both inside the home and outside the home. And and you can pursue both at the same time, even though it's tricky, you can do it. Um, So yeah, wanting to give wanting to give women who need that um, permission, you know, or, or, or freedom to, to pursue God's calling in their lives, um, outside in, in the workforce or in institutions. What was the writing process like for you? How did you go about researching and deciding what to include? Yeah, well, most, most book authors will tell you that the writing process is very difficult and kind of you're just most days you feel like you're just slogging through. But I I really wanted to speak to other women's experiences. So it's not just my my own experience. It's not a memoir. It's really a collection of many different women's 
um, experiences, thoughts, anecdotes, stories. And so basically, I, I started out by hosting 10 small group conversations in different parts of the country over the course of a year. And each group had anywhere from, you know, five to 25 women from all different backgrounds and life stages and decisions and really just ask them good questions and um, deep questions and ask them to speak honestly from their own experience. So a lot of their stories are reflected in the book. Um, And then I also spent a lot of time looking at a theology of work. And so there's been more conversations in the church in the past 10 or 20 years about the integration of faith and work. And I really built on the best of that conversation and tradition. Um, I would highly recommend um, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. That was a very formative book for me. Another would be Kingdom Calling by Amy Sherman. So I really wanted, I, I did do a lot of research in the public library last summer and really spent a lot of time with with the best of the faith and work tradition. Oh, I love the library. I do all my writing at our local library in Encinitas. It is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't do work in coffee shops. I'm just way too distractible. Like I just start listening to the person next to me and their conversation. So yeah, libraries are the best. What were those focus groups like? So you've got all these women from different walks of life in one room. What did those conversations sound like? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, on on one level, the women who came were self-selecting. So of course, they had like a natural interest in conversations about professional work and calling. But I think a lot of a lot of the women would say that they wanted more freedom and and conversation and support in their local church. I know a lot of the women who came who are, you know, working full time and and career oriented felt kind of invisible in in their church community, either because, you know, they had been caught up in the mommy wars, and they felt like other women were quietly judging them for working outside the home, or they just never heard an anecdote from their pastor in a sermon about women working, right? And so there was a sense of alienation and a real desire for community um, among them. And then I, you know, one of the themes that really stuck out to me was the women who are you know, pursuing a career and pursuing a family at the same time and and trying to um, invest meaningfully in those in both spheres would say, I absolutely couldn't do this without the full support of my husband. Um, That this was a family decision and a family commitment and that it meant so much to have a spouse, a husband who really believed in his wife's calling and was, and, you know, was, was really not just in word and not just in, in verbal affirmation, but like, getting up in the middle of the night to (laughs) put the baby back to sleep, you know, or um, really tangible care for their children and for the home in a way that made the woman's, you know, that made her able to pursue the work outside, outside the home. So that, that stuck out to me. I know for me, I absolutely could not do this 
without the support of my husband. It's hard though, because when you're in it and when you're juggling, whatever you're juggling, the work outside the home or inside the house with your kids, you still measure your success based on what the world says about what you're supposed to do. So I mean, at least for me, our culture is so quick to compare the work done at the at your place of employment and the work done in the home and that yeah. those things aren't equal and that one is clearly better than the other. Right, right. That you have to have a very public call and you have to get paid and you have to have a title that that suggests you have this important. Yeah, and I think that's a real that's a real shame. I mean, um even mainstream writers in the past few years, like Anne-Marie Slaughter, who wrote the Atlantic essay, Why Women Still Can't Have It All. She's written about the language of caretaking and wanting workplaces to honor and value the goodness of caretaking, specifically for small children. And I think, you know, all of the women that I spoke to, whether they were working full time, you know, whether they were working moms or stay-at-home moms, whatever life situation they were in would say, I'm working whether or not I get paid to do it. And we need we need ways to honor the work done at home raising small children, especially I mean the 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 formation of small people, you know, raising small people to love and know the Lord and to grow in their curiosity and their intelligence and their empathy like this is so this is such crucial work that any of us can do. Um, so yeah, it makes me sad that they're, you know, in in kind of the mommy war conversation, there's one better, you know, we we've we've tried to say that one is better than the other. And I just I think that God knows our hearts and knows our specific calling. He knows our specific um skill sets and desires, and he honors that. Um and so I, I hope that, you know, the church can be the place where the mommy wars sees and where there's a real truce and a real deep understanding across those lines. Yeah. When you even think about the question, what's your calling? Like, even when I hear that question, my immediate default is to think about what is your career? And it's not really even a consideration that your calling can mean your call to your home. We're in this conversation a lot with Bible Bells and just the role of us as parents and where do we fit in. And it's so it's so interesting, but it's so true that our greatest contribution to this world may not be something that we do, but someone who we raise. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the theme of it being like a family decision and a whole family, you know, a husband and wife and maybe a larger community either at the church or like extended family saying like, this is what we think God is calling us to do and, and having confidence in that, even if it looks different from your neighbors, right? Yeah, the world certainly doesn't encourage that type of confidence. And a lot of times, at least even in my case, you're, you're called or there are multiple callings that you'll experience in your lifetime, not just one calling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can be really limiting, obviously. You know, you hear these stories of young college graduates who have been trained for the past four years to like go out and change the world. And then they get out and into the workforce and they think, oh my gosh, is this what I'm supposed to be doing the rest of my life? Do I have to just choose one career track? Like we've kind of set up the education and workforce system to to enforce this idea that you you have one track, you have one 
calling and you're to pursue that for the next 30 or 40 years. And I don't really know any women for whom that's true. Um, I think one of the, uh, a word that I think a lot of women find helpful is seasons. You know, you have, you have a calling for a specific season of your life and, and it's in front of you day to day, but that might change. You might, you might, enter into a different season, either as your your children get older, or you get married, or you retire, like there, there are, um, you are still you in every season, but your circumstances and um, your purpose are going to change. And that's actually freeing, it frees us from having to try to figure out what's the one thing I'm supposed to do for the next 30 years. That's definitely true in my life. And knowing that callings come and go, I think is really liberating and exciting when you think about it, like, okay, God, what's next? And where are we going together? Yeah. So with that said, what did you learn about yourself through the process of writing this book? Hmm, this is vulnerable. (laughs) So I would say my first draft was way too academic and not personal enough. And I think I, I going into the first draft, I thought, I'm going to write a book that everybody can agree about, everybody can agree with, like, I won't really offend anybody, you know, and when you approach something like that, if you have a message, and you really believe you're, you're supposed to share it, um, you risk people disagreeing with you or you risk people having different opinions than you. But to say anything meaningful, you have to risk that. So I think I learned that I actually have more people-pleasing tendencies in myself than I realized. Other things I learned about myself. So so just as an aside, the second draft, like my editor basically kicked my butt and said, uh, you need to be clearer. Stop hiding around. Stop hiding behind your research put more of yourself in here. I know you have something you want to say. You just have to be bold in saying it. So, and then what else did I learn? Like, I can't not write. I mean, even as I was finishing the book, I was already thinking like, what would I write for a next, for another book? Which is like most book authors would say, that's gross. Like, it's almost like, you know, being pregnant and like, you know, giving birth to a child and already you're thinking it's like, um, maybe take a break. But I think, you know, and and by the way, I'm not like actively writing a second book. But I think it, it made me realize writing is something I can't not do. It, it's so tied to how I process the world and how I interact with other people and, and how God wired me. And so I'm grateful for that kind of clarity, the clarity of that. But it's also kind of a, rebur- a burden of responsibility. Like a calling is both something that you you hopefully find a lot of pleasure in or a lot of enjoyment and fulfillment. But sometimes it's something you don't really want to do, but you feel like you have to do it. You know, like you you realize that other people need you to live into your calling in order to flourish. So look for book number two in the next five years or so, probably. <laughs> As someone who's in the conversation of women in work and is so committed to girls and women living inspired lives, what does the future look like? What's needed? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the need is your very basic level of what do I need to do in order to 
not just survive, but, but grow and flourish as a person, both, you know, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. And then if you have kids, of course, their, their needs become your needs as well. And so you're also looking at what do they need to do? What do they need in order to flourish? Um, Just looking at the holistic person is, is, you know, do I, am I struggling with mental health issues? Like, how can I address that? If I'm, if I'm trying to do so much that I'm, I'm waking up feeling depressed or feeling exhausted, like something has to give, right? Um, and I, I think, you know, just in the research, realizing women who are raising small children often put their own needs on the back burner, right? Because you, you're just so oriented around the care of others in that season. But I really think we don't, and I can't say we because I'm not a mom, but mothers don't serve their children well if they're also struggling with mental health issues or emotional health or spiritual health. So obviously those would be needs, um, finance, you know, financial, there's a financial need for every family that has to be considered, you know, how are needs different from one? So it's tricky, right? Because very few of us get to do the work that we want to do in any given season of our life. Like something has to give, there are usually sacrifices, but I, I would encourage listeners to, you know, if you, if you have this strong desire and it's not just a whim, but it keeps on returning and it keeps on coming back in your conversations and your prayers you know, to take on a part-time job or go back to work, like that's not inherently selfish, right? That that could actually be the right the right step for you and and your family, and um and it could be a place of blessing. So I just it's not inherently selfish or c- kind of careerist in a negative way to really desire to um to go back to work after having children and. Some of the women I spoke with would say, I feel like I'm a better mom when I have some kind of external outlet, when I have, even if it's just 10 or 20 hours a week, something outside the home or something where I can pour in my own creativity or productivity, I'm actually more engaged and more kind of present with my children. And I think that's very um valid and and that that's a that's a narrative that we can make space for in our in our Christian communities. If you look at the life and ministry of Jesus who was lived lived a perfect human life on some level had direct access to the father on some level could have been kind of unlimited in his capacities and yet you we read in the bible of him going off alone to pray or um, removing himself from the crowds, or we we sense that he, by taking on human flesh, he um, exposed himself to real limitations. Like even Jesus couldn't do it all, <laughs> right? And 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 needed ways to be refreshed and to rest and to be filled up by the Father. And so, if that's true for Jesus, certainly it's going to be true for us as as frail, finite human beings. What do you hope readers get? out of reading this book? I really, I really hope that women walk away first understanding themselves to be direct image bearers of God, that they reflect the Father's image. And because of that, um, they were made 
to um, contribute meaningfully to to the world um, and to tend and steward the world that God has given us as as human beings. We read in the first pages of Genesis that um, God tasked Adam and Eve with caring for the garden and tending it. And we we know, we understand that that's a model of human engagement with um, culture and cultural creation. So first, you know, we bear the image of God directly. And then second, what we find in the first pages of Genesis is that God is a worker. Um, he is productive. He um, brings order and abundance and beauty out of nothing into the world. And so when we work, whether that is in an office or whether that's in a coffee shop or whether that's at home, um, we are reflecting the image of God and bearing the image of God rightly. And so my hope would be that more women experience the Father's pleasure as they go about their work, as they go about their days um, being productive, whether it's caring for children or caring for a bank account or whatever it is, you know, whatever your um, particular context is in this season, that they would feel the father's pleasure as they set about their work and understand work um, to be a, a way that we um, bear his image and also bear witness to him. Um, work done well um, brings glory to God and is a witness to the father um, in the world. And so, yeah, just um, I think, you know, in in my saying that, just speaking a, a word of, of freedom um, to women who, who maybe question the meaning or value of their work, um, that that when it's done to the glory of God, it, it brings him honor and it blesses our neighbors and it and it fills our souls in, in some way. Um, so just that more women would experience that freedom and the goodness of work. Awesome. It's been such a blessing to have you here to share the work that you're doing. And I just pray God's favor over all that you're doing to love and encourage both moms and just women everywhere who need these reminders. I know I do. Well, thank you so much for, for having me and for that prayer. And yeah, my my hope with the book is ultimately that it um, that it really speaks meaningfully into women's daily lives and kind of um, maybe it allows them to kind of realign with with God's calling in their life. All right, Caitlin, we're almost out of time. We do something at the end of each episode called The Scoop. It's three rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Bible Balls, obviously we love heroes. Our podcast is called Heroes for Her. So growing up, who was your hero? I have to say my dad. Like <laughs> He is one of the most wise, patient and gentle people I know. And um, even even this week, the so the book just came out on Tuesday, and there were all these celebrations. And he gave me a he called me and was just speaking his pride over me and and started tearing up. It was like the sweetest moment. And he he was actually in the Marine Corps in, when I was much younger. And so you kind of imagine this like, brawny, like no nonsense, disciplined, hard man, but like, there's like, such there's just like a center of like, emotional goo inside of him. Dads are the best. Yeah. Okay, second question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? So I had a, a writer friend a few years ago. So I I write in the book about a, a broken engagement that I experienced at age 27 and kind of on, on the same day that 
my then fiance and I decided to end the engagement. I was offered the job of managing editor at Christianity Today. So these two things happened within like a matter of hours one day in 2012. And I've been a little bit skittish to share that publicly just because it's like a pain. It's a painful it was a painful experience. There's, you know, a, a measure of shame involved in it. But what she said to me was go vulnerable or go home. <laughs> and I've really tried to embrace that. Like, obviously, vul- being vulnerable is really scary and can be, you feel like you're like walking into a room naked. But I really feel that being vulnerable with each other gives gives other people permission. And allows you to connect on a human to human level in a way that pretending that you're strong and you have it all together doesn't. So go vulnerable or go home. I love that. Last question. If you could have a secret superpower, what would it be? Okay, I I would be able to get my hair to do that like wavy curl thing that's very popular right now, just like on a dime. Like I would just be able to snap my fingers and have my hair look like that. I have one of those amazing like wrap wands and I've never been able to get my hair to look wavy and beautiful. Let me just tell you as someone who could not be worse at being girly, like I am the worst, (laughs) uh, that twisty hair curl thing, I can even do it. So there's hope for you. (laughs) Well, you've just given me my superpower. As we wrap up, Caitlin, would you just share with people who want to find out what you're up to, want to buy your book, what is the best place for people to find you? Yeah. So the best place to go at this point is my Facebook author page, just Caitlin Beatty. Um, I'm posting there every day, just sharing um, thoughts or articles that I've written or sections of the book. So that is a good first place to start. Um, eventually I will also have a website probably in the next few weeks set up caitlinbeatty.com. And then, I mean, the best place to go is, I mean, the easiest place to go to find the book is Amazon, of course, but there's also a page on Simon and Schuster's website, all about the book and listing where you can find it. Apparently it's, it's in some Barnes and Nobles too, which is really cool. Awesome. Caitlin, it's been wonderful having you here. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much, Erin. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, thoughts about the episode, or ideas about how we can come together and support our girls, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at biblebells.com. Just let